If you guys, if you guys have your Bibles, you can, you can turn them to Revelation chapter 12. But before we do that, let us pray this prayer together. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he may devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. You guys may be seated. As we come to Revelation, I am reminded each and every week that it would be good for us um, to believe in the idea of myths and the idea of story and the idea about how um, fiction oftentimes can teach us about great truths in a way that nonfiction can't. We all know that myths are not true. They're not true stories, but they can contain uh, poignantly. They can contain life lessons, elements of truth layered throughout. And in the Christian tradition, we have enjoyed this style of writing, both in scripture, but also authors that we've had over the years. You can think of John uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Not a, not a true story, but it could be, and it's pointing towards truth. Or one of my favorites is C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Like, those aren't true stories, but they contain such powerful elements of truth in them. But we have, like, even older than that, John Milton's Paradise or Dante's Inferno. Or, you know, you have uh, around the same time as Lewis, Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings, which this scripture, I think, was taken... Uh, and placed somewhere in the Lord of the Rings. I'm pretty sure about that. But none of these stories that we have are true, but they help us see truth at a deeper level. Myth has been used throughout human history and in many cultures since the beginning of time. This is not something that's unique to Christianity. It's something uh, that has been handed down to us throughout the generations. And what John was handed here to write is one of the oldest and I would think that one of the best forms of storytelling that has ever been used. He is following Jesus in this. Jesus tells him what to write and he's writing it. He's telling this story here in Revelation chapter 12, 13, 14, 15 that that follow a narrative that he is getting. And he teaches this way just like Jesus teaches this way. Jesus taught in parables. He taught in parables. He taught biblical truths in made-up stories. He taught us about the kingdom of God through, in in a sense, fiction. And it's a beautiful thing. Think about, like, 
women and men in fields, like at what time they're going to leave or who's going to get lifted up or property owners and their kin. Think about the man who found a field and sold everything he has. Was that a true story? No, but it's teaching us the deep truth that we get to find Jesus and sell everything that we have to follow him. We can think of the faithful servants and what those look like. We can see the the ten virgins. And none of these stories are true, but they hold ultimate truth about who Jesus is, what salvation looks like for us, and what the kingdom of God is like. And it's a beautiful thing. And here in Revelation, Jesus is showing John, and John is faithfully writing down this story of salvation, because ultimately that's what it is. He is doing, he is using this story or a parable or this myth. And, the, and I love it because the definition of myth is a traditional story, especially one concerning earlier history of a people or explaining some natural social phenomenon and typically involving supernatural beings or events. That's exactly what this is. Revelation 12, 13, 14 is a continuous story. It is the ancient story of the battle between good and evil. It's complete with heroes and villains and wars, and it has side actors, and it is dripping with drama the entire time. This story is one of the greatest ever told, and it's in its imagination and its imagery, the way that it leads us through this entire thing. And here we're at the beginning of it. It's also one of the most beautiful stories ever told if we kind of dive into it and figure out some of the truth that is trying to be contained and and, um, given to us. It's almost, uh, it's very beautiful and rich and I'm praying that it should add to our lives in wonderful ways like a good story does. When we start with this story, we start with what we see is two great signs in heaven. Two great signs in heaven. These are signs that are meant to guide our life, like the North Star guides a, a, a ship pilot in, in before all the other fancy navigations. It's supposed to do the whole thing. And in this case, with Revelation 12, the signs in the sky are, are supposed to shape and guide our life as we follow this life of faith in Jesus. As we walk with Jesus step by step, these signs are in heaven to direct our steps in following Christ. They are not only there to direct us, they're there to give us strength, to encourage our faith, and encouragement uh, for the roads that we must continue to walk down as we follow Him, no matter what the road looks like. Here in in this, we see two signs in the heavens. One, a woman, and the other, a dragon. One of these signs is life-giving and the other is threatening to destroy everything that life would stand for. We see salvation and destruction. They are at odds and they are at war and there will only be one winner. So let's start with the woman and, and her son. In this story, the followers of Jesus, so you and I, as we stand here today and want to walk with Jesus, we can identify with this woman. This woman is clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet and her head on her head a crown of 12 stars. This woman in a sense is supposed to be described as beautiful in a cosmic sense. This is a beautiful woman who is clothed with the sun makes us think of that she is radiant. 
that she is full of life, that she gives not only life, but light, and she gives dignity and worth, and she kind of like, if you think of the sun and its powerful rays, it's pushing back the darkness. That is what we are supposed to think of this woman. We are supposed to see her in this way. And in a way, like um, many stories have done along the way, this is a woman who is introduced here who is worth dying for. She's worth seeking. She's worth giving everything up for. It's worth, uh, her, her cosmic beauty represents that we should love her as she represents life. She gives life and she is a beauty um, that, that we as Christians, may we possess that. And yet at the same time, here we see this woman. We see her, her beautiful, but then the, the next verse, she was pregnant and crying out in birth pains in agony of giving birth. Generally not how we think of uh, women uh, of beauty, but she was pregnant and crying out. And we, too, in a sense, are pregnant with the anticipation of Jesus' return. We are filled with this, this hope and this expectancy that any day now, Jesus will return and set things right once and for all. That our hope is in Christ and we are pregnant with this hope that we have. This faith is going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus already came and died on the cross. He was buried. He rose from the dead. We believe that is an actual event and it's real. But he also promised more than that. He promised that one day he would return to rule and reign once and forever And when Jesus reigns, Satan, sin, and death, tears, pain, all that stuff will be no more. And since we still see things like Satan's activity in this world, sin, and death, since we see these things in the the world, we wait. We wait with hope. We wait with faith. We wait with great pregnant expectancy. This pregnancy, uh, we are pregnant with hope, and it will give birth. It will give birth. But as we wait, just like this woman, as we wait, we are crying out as if we are giving birth. We are in pain as we wait. We are constantly crying out, How long, O Lord? Why, God, do these things happen? We moan and we have to, in a sense, monitor our breathing through prayers and petitions. We are not satisfied in our current state. We are uncomfortable. This is what hope and faith can feel like at times. They are uncomfortable at times when we are waiting, and we're waiting for this pressure to give way and to deliver us Christ in His forever form of glory. And in the meantime, we are in the pains of agony, and we are in the pains of agony as this life of following Christ. But even in this, we know that all this pain is going to be worth it because of its life-giving nature. This story is one of life and death. One sign is giving life in all the painful and beautiful reminders and realities of it. And this woman, like us, is in an extremely vulnerable place. I've only seen three births. And I've, I've never had to endure one personally. But each time, there's, I, there's a tremendous amount of vulnerability and strength side by side. It's an incredible thing. If, if uh, you want to be humbled, watch, go be a part of a birth. There, there is nothing more 
humbling than that because there is vulnerability and strength side by side. And if one wanted to stand by like this dragon does in the devour baby, devour the baby, the one giving birth would be all but helpless. There is a great life-giving strength that doesn't look like strength and yet it still has life. And this is key to this life that we live in Christ. This is a great sign laid out in the heavens. We too as Christians, even today, we are in a vulnerable place. We as followers of Christ are His bride. We're full of beauty and honor. We're pregnant with expectancy that Jesus is going to do everything that He said He was going to do. And it give, and we're giving birth and we're in a vulnerable place. We are, as Christians, we're told to turn the other cheek. We're told to walk the extra mile. We're taught not only to love our neighbors, but even our enemies. We are told that strength comes from weakness and that from death comes life. That we can find beauty in all these things. If we are to find our lives, then we will lose them to Jesus. If we give up everything for the sake of following Jesus, we will get everything. We are weak and in a vulnerable place. And not only that, but it looks like a place. As I look at like church history, it looks like a place like it's about to be defeated at every single moment. At every single moment, these, these, the Christianity, the church, the, the, the saints, that, that finally something in the world is going to tip the scales and once and for all, Christians aren't going to be able to live like Christians. It looks like we're in a place that is going to be defeated and overruled at any moment. And it's always looked like that. And yet, at the same time, we are beautiful. Life is beautiful. And even if it is weak and frail, we are still beautiful. But the truth is, is that there are dragons. The second sign in this story introduces us to a dragon. And I, I pray that we don't identify with him. Whereas we identify with the woman, we don't identify with the dragon. He is a great big red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on each of his heads and is seven diadems, has seven diadems on these. He is big, he is powerful, he is scary, and he looks like he has all the power and that he is the ruler. This is what this story has made us to believe that this thing has all the power to, to, uh, to do whatever it wants to do. And when we think of evil villains, this is a pretty good description. This red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on each head. This dragon looks like it would be too much for anyone to overcome, let alone a beautiful pregnant woman who's about to give birth. This dragon ruler wants to destroy the life that the woman is going to give. In fact, the dragon is standing right before the woman, watching and waiting, ready to pounce, ready to devour what she is going to give life to. There looks like there is no escape for the woman or the baby. This woman is in absolute trouble. The word devour here is a menacing word. It doesn't mean kidnap the baby. It doesn't mean that the dragon's going to take the baby away from her and raise it as his own in his own little evil world. No, it means to consume. It means to swallow whole, to eat the child. 
with all that gross imagery that is there. This is what this means, to utterly destroy the child. The dragon wants to eat the baby to make sure that the baby is no more. This is a disgusting scene. Whereas the woman describes beauty and life and weakness and frailty, the dragon represents death, fear, and power in this story. What happens when these two meet? Who's going to win? Because in the end, this is a story of hope. This hard story is to give us hope. This is the hope that we are pregnant with. Hope that the underdog, the weak and vulnerable, will win out. That the child won't be devoured by the dragon. Hope that the mighty powers of the nation, who too often squash anything that is good and lovely, anything that wants these these mighty powers and nations that want to destroy men and women for their own good and their own gain, to consume them and fulfill their own purposes, who want to rule and reign without anyone questioning any of their judgments. That is what this nasty dragon does, and this nasty dragon will lose. That power will not overcome the righteousness that is found in Jesus Christ. And when we talk about these powers of the dragon, they are only real in their own imaginations. They put on a scary dress and a scary garb because they're not strong. They're not powerful as they look. These are powers that put, these are the powers that put Jesus to death and thought that they did away with him once and for all. The, The nations who thought they were eating Jesus when they put him on the cross. They had no idea that the weak and vulnerable Jesus who went willingly across the brook Kidron to them would be put on a cross and die himself, but that he would not stay dead. That from his death comes life, not only his life, but our life as well. This is incomprehensible to the dragon and everything he represents. To him, weakness is just weakness. Hope is a thing of fairy tales and child games that once you grow up, you should get rid of. And they can't see that the real power is something different than what they think power is. And I love this story because in a great twist, as you have the dragon menacingly standing over the woman ready to devour the child that she gives birth to, If this was a movie, it'd be a super dramatic moment. We would feel the tension. We would know why the dragon is there. And we'd want the woman to give birth to the child and not be eaten. But we have no idea how this is going to happen because he's sitting there licking his chops as the child's about to be born. Just a little bit more time and the helpless child and mother will be his to devour once and for all. And then she gave birth to a male, a baby boy. And in that moment... In that very exact moment, the child is caught up to God and to his throne and the woman fled. This is a complete moment of surprise. How could the child and mother escape? They were done for. We saw them. They were cornered in by this nasty dragon. And yet, outside miraculous factors were at play. The child, we find out, is to be the one to rule over them all. And it's a complete shock. It's a plot twist of epic proportions. It's like when Mary Magdalene went crying into the universe and to the disciples that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. 
He's not dead. We saw him on the cross. We saw him in the tomb. But I promise you, he's not there. He is alive. They killed him, buried him, but now he's alive. It's that kind of twist in this story. There are a thousand ways to view this story. But we can see, we can see it as the church giving birth to the second coming of Christ. We can see the dragon as Rome, as many have done, or any other ruling nation that has ever been and has ever existed. We can see the woman as Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the son coming out as Jesus. Well, we should see the son as Jesus either way, either the second incarnation or the first incarnation of Jesus. Anyway, we see it. This story is full of drama and it's full of beautiful truths. I'm hoping that we can see ourselves in this story. I'm hoping that we can see truths that won't even be covered in this sermon. I'm hoping that we all see life, life and the power of life. To be born in, in this section, to be born is used four times in this section. The whole scene is about birth and the one who is to be born. It is a story of salvation and rescue. The son is the rescuer, and he he is rescued, and he rescues as well. The woman and the son do great damage to the dragon through weakness and vulnerability. Life will come as we cry out. Once and forever salvation is forthcoming. few things that I love about this text. Number one is Jesus will rescue us. He is our Savior, and His plans cannot be defeated. He will not be overcome. It doesn't matter how big the odds may look that are stacked against Him. He will win. He always does. There's only one winner in this story, and it is Jesus. And like like in the real world of faith and hope, there's plenty of drama along the way. It isn't just as easy as saying, hey, Jesus wins, so just deal with it. No, there's drama along the way. Like, and we get to follow Jesus the entire way. There will be trials and temptations all along the way. We'll be tempted to doubt. We'll be tempted to think that the dragon will devour the sun. But this myth tells us what we need to do is put our doubts in check and believe Jesus will once and for all, like he said he would, put away the dragon, do away with him. And we get to know that it won't always look like what, that Jesus is going to win. And we can take comfort in that. It won't always look that way. But we will see the cross and we will see the empty tomb and we will believe once and for all that Jesus will do this thing. No matter how hard and difficult things get, there is still hope. Hard fought and yes, we cry along the way. We moan. We control our breathing. But in Jesus, His love, His grace, His forgiveness, the things that He speaks over us, the things that He gives us, they are the true ways to life and salvation. I also love the dragon in this story. He is so big and scary. He's so big and scary, but He's powerless, even though it looks like all the power belongs to Him. It just doesn't. It reminds me of rich and powerful and politically connected people that think they can get away with the injustices that they continue to participate in, but they won't and they can't. They think that no one can stop them. And I, I picture this, the dragon, when, when, the, when the 
child gets caught up into heaven and the, the woman uh, flees away. I picture the shock on the dragon's face. And that's going to be the shock of the nations and, and the peoples and the rulers that th- when they realize that they are the defeated ones, when they realize that when it's stripped down, we can see that they are powerless, something that they knew all along, that they are truly the defeated ones. And the, the truly weak ones are the one who defeated them. And last, I love the woman. I identify with her the most not because of my, my beauty, but I will say because of the beauty that Jesus has placed on me. I am beautiful because of what Jesus thinks I am. And when I am clothed with his love and his grace, I have weakness, I have vulnerability, but he says that I'm beautiful and I get to believe that. I love the weakness and yet the life-giving power that this woman has. And it is a constant reminder that even in a humbled state, we are able to see life abound. Our weakness isn't for nothing. It brings glory to God and it protects us and it provides for us. I love that when she flees into the wilderness, God has prepared a place for her. He prepared it. He knew this difficult task was going to be there. And he provided beforehand. And there, in that place, God's provision, in God's provision, she was nourished. And may it be so for us. This grand story of salvation is amazing to me. The truth this story holds is so great. I love that we are constantly reminded in more ways than one that even as this prayer that we prayed, glory to the Father, to Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. The truth is that from the beginning of the Bible to the end, the story is the same. It's a story of salvation that God has been trying to teach us the entire Bible. And He doesn't change it. He doesn't think, oh, well, you're dense, so I'm just going to change it up a little bit. No, he tells the story over and over because he is the same. He doesn't get tired of telling the story of salvation because he knows that we need to hear the good news of Jesus over and over and over again. He knew that, 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 that the dragons of life were going to come up and look like they were going to defeat us. And yet, he also shows us that in his infinite wisdom and in creative plot twist, he provides for us a savior. He provides for us in, in taking the son up and protecting him in nourishing the woman as she goes away and leaving the dragon dumbfounded. And once and for all, we will see in the coming weeks how defeated he truly is. I love this story. I love that it's told in such a way that invites us into a deeper and richer meaning than we can imagine if it was just simply put, Jesus wins. So Jesus, we thank you that you do win. We thank you that you are a creative God who tells us in interesting ways and and repeats the story over and over and over of salvation, Lord, because we need to hear it at different times in different ways, at different moments, and we need to constantly be reminded of it. So Lord, may we be reminded of it today, that you are bigger than anything that stands in our path, that you're you're good, and that you never change, and that you will win. In Jesus' name, amen.